everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. My name is Chris Milhouse, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? How's it going? And then, of course, we've got our producer, Mr. Jim Search. Jim, what's going on, buddy? Oh, man, just effervescent. <laughs> okay, <laughs> effervescent, man. Is that the yeah. same as ebullient? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, why not? Ebullient and effervescent. Are they pretty synonymous? Um, yeah, I look, just uh, living it. Effervescence all over. Yeah. I'm going to patent and market this women's underwear thing that... <laughs> For lighting. I, for those that don't know, uh, Daryl has used <laughs> women's underwear to cover up the light to help with the lighting. The yeah, I, you know, I had all my stuff mailed here from New York, and there were like stuff in there that I hadn't seen and since Jesus Christ was a corporal, which is <laughs> not my joke. Not my joke, written by a guy named Dan Jenkins, but it's a damn good joke. That's yes, good, man. It's been a while since I've seen him. Who knows? Yeah. Belonged to anybody? Maybe the previous, the tenant previous to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think I think you know how they have like different filters on Instagram. Like this could be your filter, like the Hammond <laughs> filter. <laughs> this oh, be the, the, the new filter, you know, that really like bring really brings out your best features. Well, you know, women's panties over the <laughs> over the. I, um, I lit one. T- like years ago, you know, I had this giant chest of drawers. So years ago, I actually lived briefly with someone there. And I suspect that's where these came from. But um, whatever. Okay. Good luck. Well, good. I mean, I, I hope you wear them on stage, too. And <laughs> I will. <laughs> when you get that show up with me and Keenan in December, you better believe it. Absolutely, guys. I yeah. mean, uh, quick shout out to everybody who listened to our uh, our last episode with Keenan Thompson, the legend. Uh, if you've listened, you know that uh, Daryl and Keenan are planning a show together, and uh, I'm hopefully going to host. But either way, I'm going to be there. I'm going to watch that show because I feel like what a great yeah. Show. You're going to host, you know, and so I hope it happens. You're going to you're you're sure host, and you're going to produce. Oh, I mean, that'd be cool, man. But uh, just to be there and be be witness of this, uh, I hope everyone who listens will be there as well. We'll do it in New York, I'm sure. Or uh, maybe we'll do it in L.A. We'll, we'll figure it out. But, uh, you know, today is, uh, today is a weird day for me. It's the last day of my 30s, Daryl. Of your 30s? Yeah, turning 40. During, I'm becoming middle-aged tomorrow. Four, four oh. what, does that, what does that feel like? Uh, it feels like my body and my age are finally keeping, catching up to the creepiness that I've already got. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the creepy factor, huh? The creepy well, factor. I don't know. Back to the creep factor. Yeah. Mm. Well, no, look, I mean, I'm not hitting on anybody in parks today. Like, this is how I know I'm getting older. I walked through Central Park today. I talked about this on Instagram. But, like, I'm having different thoughts, like, these days where I, I today I, I legitimately stared at a bench. And I was like, yo, I could sit the fuck out of that bench. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I could, I could sit on that bench for like a long time, you know, like that's how I know I'm getting older. When I start looking at benches and going, that looks like a pretty damn good bench, man. Like, you know, I, I, listen, I Chris, th- 30 years old does not mean you're ready for, um, craftmatic adjustable beds and, <laughs> and walk in tubs. Um, yeah, you know? man, the big four Oh, I mean, it makes me officially middle-aged. So, uh, you know, I feel I that know. way. I feel that way when I see like an empty laundry mat. And I'm like, look at all those washers, man. I oh, yeah. All this shit done, dude. <laughs> all, look at all those free washers. It's yeah. right there, man. No, no, no waiting today. No, we're washing the pillows today, motherfucker. Let's get <laughs> it. We're bringing everything down. I'm, oh, bringing, I'm bringing seven loads down. I'm bringing all of it, man. We're yeah. getting the shit clean. I, I'm washing. I'm going to wash my Nehru jacket and my coaching shorts today. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't know. Man. I get to the point where I just like, I don't know, like, I guess this comes with age. I, I I don't know. Every time I wake up, I'm immediately thinking about going back to sleep again. <laughs> you know, like I think about my bed and taking a nap every day. Like one of the, that's, that's where my head's at now. It's what I'm doing. I mean, I think you're sounding the alarm a little too soon. I think you got a little spring in your step left yet. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> I mean, uh, what was uh daryl like you were what you were 39 when you got snl so you were you know you were, well, how about not bringing that up chris no because i'm trying to say like 40th <laughs> man i'm trying to figure out where you were at 40 and i feel like yeah, you were- no man let's just stop bringing that shit up <laughs> all right all right uh, i'm just on, trying man. to get just trying to get some friendly advice man of uh give, a, give a brother a chance you know i tried 
you know, I was going to go to the park and use out one of your lines on one of the young fillies here in WeHo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I was going to like, hey, hey, today's your lucky day. <laughs> She's going to say, get I had lost. Also- She's going to get lost, Grandpa. Yeah. I'd also like to give you a shout out for incorporating Phillies. That's a good. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. 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 The word Philly. Bringing that back. I like it. That's, yeah. That's old school, man. I like it. I, I well, you, you could do one of my. Invent, it wasn't even invented when you were born, Chris. <laughs> Phillies was Phillies was invented back when dogs could still talk. No. <laughs> old Navajo. I've, I've did some study with Navajo Indians. and They had this, this thing about the ancient ones and it was believed that dogs conversed with one another long long ago and thank you for remaining quiet during this morning's dramatic passages sorry that was that was a brain fart it's like i just wandered off well <laughs> listen we're at when you when you come to this podcast you're gonna get it all you're gonna get i think i look pretty good for a no no generic an octogenarian don't you absolutely man yeah i mean yeah I think LA's doing you well too. I think LA's uh LA's reflecting well on you and you're you're uh it, it looks good on you, buddy. Uh LA is really good for me and it's always been really good for me. And I know a lot of people out here and um, you know, I had a situation in New York that was that didn't go to my liking and I uh I just said fuck it, I'm leaving. Which is nice to be able to have that ability. Um but I gotta come back there to do your show soon. Absolutely. I, I mean, as soon as you come back, man, we're doing shows together and, uh, you know, we'll announce it on the podcast and hopefully get a bunch of people to come back. And um, before uh, we get too much farther into the podcast, I want to remind everybody just to uh, share the posts that we post on social media. Tell your friends, subscribe, uh, give us five stars if you don't mind. Uh, that would be great. Nice little review would be awesome. Um, we are all over social media. Daryl's at, at Daryl C. Hammond. I'm at Chris Milhouse, two L's in Milhouse. And our producer, Jim Search, is at Jim Search. And uh, yeah, I mean, guys, look, we have like a really, really amazing guest today. Somebody different. We have yet to have any sort of musical guest yet uh, on the podcast. Uh, you know, a, a, a well-known musician, if you will. And uh, this guy is a Grammy award-winning artist and uh, i'm talking about mr richard marks who is fantastic i mean look his self-titled debut album went triple platinum in 1987 uh his first single don't mean nothing reached number three on the charts uh between 87 and 94 he had 14 top 20 hits including three number one singles i mean how impressive is that like this dude is just he's an all-around uh you know just an, an incredible artist and uh, i'm excited to have him on so uh you know what do you say we add him i want to ask i want to ask okay sure i want to ask him about you know i'd heard some musician friends of mine say that when mp3 started and became like a whole thing that it really affected the music industry oh yeah that's a great question to ask well, uh, we'll get it's, into like, that. it's like instagram now with performances with broadway and mm-hmm. and clubs i mean a lot of people are getting gigs because they have they have instagram YouTube. Yeah, YouTube as well. I mean, YouTube made uh, Justin Bieber famous. I mean, yeah. that's where he got, you know, discovered and he became this megastar just off of this little, you know, internet, you know, app, if you will, or whatever you want to call Why it. Why does the underwear light change? Notice, like I'm sitting here and I'm bright and then I'm not bright. I think it's whenever you move closer or farther from the computer, it ends up, you know, kind of readjusting to your maybe. To oh, okay. Your- that's smart. But we'll see. But uh, in the meantime, let's add... It's a, li- um, it's a living thing. All right, here. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we're going to add on uh, Mr. Richard Marks. Uh, Richard Marks, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, man. Appreciate you being here and taking the time to, uh, to you know, talk with us. My pleasure. Yeah, I know you don't know me, but you obviously know my, my co-host, uh, Mr. Daryl Hammond from Saturday Night Live. Uh, my name is Chris Milhouse. I'm a stand-up comic. I've uh, been friends with Daryl for a few years now. And, uh, you know, we just... We appreciate you taking this time, man. We were just uh, giving, singing your praises before uh, before you joined. Uh, we heard you got a, a great new uh, memoir that you put out. Uh, well, yeah, I've been I've been pushing this book now for. It came out on July sixth, and uh, first of all, I'm thrilled to be here. I don't know you, Chris, but I've been a fan of Daryl's forever. And so uh, when he reached out to me on Twitter, I was like, "Oh shit, this is awesome!" <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and you know, in the comedy community, you're known as a guy with a quick wit. Did you know that? I don't. I don't know that, but that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah. And I, 
I have I have become friend friendly with several comics over the years, and 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 I've heard really nice things in in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I take that as like the ultimate compliment coming from guys like you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I sing praises to Daryl for uh, Twitter, man. I mean, Twitter alone. Well, following you has been pretty entertaining. I said, Richard roasts people on Twitter better than any roast I've ever written for. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just, there's so many idiots on Twitter. I mean, let's face it. There really is a lot of people that just want to get out some sort of aggression on there. And, uh, but man, you're really entertaining on there. You're really funny. You've got really quick wit on there. Can can we get an example of some of the people you roasted on Twitter and why? I'd love to hear. (laughs) Well, I don't just, I, first of all, I don't go after anybody except the only exception is I've never attacked anybody or um, tagged anyone who wasn't a, an elected politi- an elected official, hmm. because to me, that's different. Um, they work for us. Um, they're, to me, that's the only exception, but I, you know, these people who, what's funny about Twitter is, you know, I'll tweet something that is, uh, that I think is pretty benign. You know, or a quip, and I will have these constant people um, who will say the most vile shit to me. And if I answer them, then I'm the hateful one. <laughs> Always. And I've pointed out, like I've never just read, just like seen somebody's, like a celebrity. If, if 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 I don't follow someone, for example, but someone I follow retweets, I don't know whoever Tom Arnold, who I happen to know a little bit. But if I didn't know Tom Arnold at all. And Tom and I, somebody retweeted Tom Arnold, and I tagged Tom Arnold or responded to him, calling him an asshole. I'm the asshole. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't tweet at me. Yeah, that's and, like when you're doing when you're doing stand up, and <clears throat> you know when I was first starting out, I had heckler lines locked and loaded, and the second someone said something from the audience, anything at all, like something just spoke to their friends, I'd pop them with my heckler line. But, you know, the, the audience has doesn't think they're a bad guy yet. They don't think they're an asshole. They right. just were talking about the check for a second, and it's got to be something more egregious than that. And Tom's a really cool guy as well. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I remember, like, two years ago, I tweeted something about, I, I, you know, as – by the way, let me, let me preface this by saying that I, I've become known as being very, quotes, political on Twitter. I don't find it that I'm political because first of all, I'm not a, a registered anything. I'm a registered independent. I'm, I've never been aligned with the democratic party. I've certainly never been aligned with the Republican party, but I have voted for both parties throughout my life. Mm-hmm. I vote for a candidate. I don't vote by a party line. Now the Republican party, as I once knew it doesn't exist in my opinion. So it's not, so now it's not about politics. It's about being on the right side of decency or indecency for me. Um, so a couple of years ago, I, I made a comment about the fact that, as you can tell, there's this funny phenomenon with people who are really, really super MAGA, who can't for the life of them figure out the difference between your and your. <laughs> Y-O-U-R or Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. They always, always get it wrong when they type on Twitter. And so I made some joke about that. And Scott Bayo. It oh, went God. so far over his head, but he had to comment on it because somebody had obviously retweeted it in his feed. And He's Scott also insane, Bale. by the way. If anybody doesn't know, Scott Bale on Twitter just is nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. And he he made a comment, and he it was the – as I've said, he's like – he's self-owned more than a 65 Pontiac. You know, he's <laughs> – he just – he always says the wrong thing and he just leaves himself wide open to expose himself with the bumbling dipshit that he is. And so I <laughs> saw him get dragged and then it's turned into this thing where he and I have gone after each other several times. So, you know, I don't, I, I tend to not go after anyone uh, unless they start something. But yeah, then I it use, seems, it seems like I you just deal with trolls, people that troll you more so I, than you going I, after people. I have so much fun with that. You know, when people oh. call me a, you know, I came up with a line the other day that I was really proud of. Um, I said, "Yes, you, you're kind of right. I had my first hit at 19, and the royal and the royalties had all the royalty has been rolling rolling in. The money has been rolling in ever since." There you go. <laughs> I, I do, fucked up. Do you still get paid? 
for those royalties? Because, wow, is that wonderful. Hell yeah. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's that's not why you do what you do. I mean, that's not why I did what I did, but the fact that it was, at a, you know, for the for the most part at that time, an incredibly lucrative career, as well as the most fun thing in the world, it's, it's a win-win. Was touring fun for you? Um, it was not fun for me when I was really successful at it. Um, when, in my heyday of touring, when I was playing arenas and stadiums, I was not enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying my career. Um, Why not? I was, you know, I had my first hit at 23, and I, I didn't know. I think this is so common. I've talked to so many people in comedy as well as music and that when it, when it happens so fast, even though I was really prepared and I had written songs for other people, I'd had hits as a writer and I was a session uh, background vocal singer for a bunch of big stars. And I was certainly in the business for a while, but when that first hit of your own fame and success happens, there's no handbook. There's no Ted talk to, to mm-hmm. prepare you for, fame like that mm. and, and i just found myself feeling very self-conscious and um and the touring was so big on such a level where i felt so such a responsibility to all the people who worked with me and but i was not having a good time and i remember uh countless times being you know i would always have fun in the shows don't get me wrong you know when you're playing when you're up there singing for thirty thousand people and they're screaming at screaming for you and singing along that does not suck at all but <laughs> But the rest of it, I found myself kind of falling into a bit of a depression. And because I was, because I was like, why don't, why doesn't this make me happy? This is what I've always wanted. This is supposed to be the answer to everything, you know. Um, and when it doesn't meet those expectations, it's a hard lesson to go, oh fuck, I've got to learn how to be happy on the inside. Shit, I didn't learn that. So, it sounds like it sounds like during the actual performance, you were getting that sort of high that comics get when the crowd is, is substantial and the jokes are going well. For me, it's the travel, it's the bullshit, it's the PR, it's the interviews, it's all that. Um, that stuff got really old for me, but just standing up there on the stage and getting laughs hasn't gotten old. That said, I wouldn't travel to Spavada, Oklahoma again <laughs> just, just to do a set. I understand. And yeah. and I always say that all that stuff that you just described is what I get paid for. The the, the two hours on stage I do for free, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, right. Daryl, this is interesting. Um, I was talking to I did a, a, a thing for my book with Pat Oswalt, and uh, and I don't know him, know him, but we've become Twitter friends, and um, and he was one of the people who was really complimentary about some of the just the humor part of me but one yeah. one one thing that i've found in the last few years and i always from the beginning even when i was young in my early days of my career i would make quips i was you know my father i think was a really funny guy a great storyteller and quick-witted and sarcastic and um and i think that i have a little bit of that dna uh but when you when you start to take it more seriously when you start to work on bits when you start to like hone material if you will which i'd never really done until i started doing these solo acoustic shows i still there's a lot of freeform stuff and somebody yells out from the audience i can play with that and and i love all that but the stories that i've you know worked on to to talk to when i talk in between songs it's gotten to the point you guys where at the end of a night I judge the success of that show, not based on the applause for the songs, but the laughs. I've become sort of addicted to it. That's awesome. And and if I, you know, there's a story, there are many stories I tell that always kill, that always that punchline lands and the audience erupts in laughter and Mm -hmm. it's sustained laughter. And I always know it's going to work. Well, welcome to stand-up comedy, my friend. (laughs) And every once in a while, it'll land, it, it never fails, but it'll land and it won't like the applause will die out a little sooner. I mean, the laugh will die out a little sooner or the, you know, those little nuances when 
someone's laughing, when an audience is laughing. And if it doesn't quite do what it normally does, I think about it all night. Tell me, <clears throat> tell me what you mean by little nuances, because I, I think I don't know what you mean. But I, th- I think he's talking about. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like with us specifically as stand-ups, like we we go for that hard laugh, and if it doesn't hit it as hard, we think like, "Well, I wonder why that didn't hit as hard." I mean, there's also we have the. I don't know if you if you feel this way, Richard. If you've uh, experienced this when you tell your stories and or you're you're doing your jokes on stage, but like we tend to focus not on the people that are laughing, but the people that aren't laughing. As comedians, we'll find one person in the audience yeah. just kind of like looking at us. And I'm and 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 I mean, I, I can't speak for other comics like Daryl, but I know personally, I'm just I want to go after that one guy. I want to. I'm always like, why? Why don't you like this? everyone else is into this? Like, what are you doing? Like, and that I'll think about for like, the, I'm like, what didn't that guy like about this joke? Like, you know, yeah. and, but sometimes we'll call it out on stage. Sometimes we'll, we'll embrace that person. Like everyone here is laughing except you. What's your deal? You know, like that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know if that's anything similar to what you're describing. It seems like it is. Uh, uh, to, to answer Daryl's question about the nuance, it's the same thing that I experienced here and there with uh, songs, with song performances. So, and I've never really articulated this, but I'm going to wing it. So uh, when a song, instead of like a chord that rings and then decays, and the audience is applauding as the sound is decaying, usually in my show and a lot of artists in a live show, especially with the band, you do a hard ending where it's an abrupt ending. And then the applause is immediate. And it's like, Oh my God, that was great. As opposed to hitting the chord and the chord is ringing and people are like, Oh, I love that song. That was really good. As opposed to, Oh my God, that was fucking great. Yeah. And so there are times when you hit that hard ending on the song and I'm so accustomed to that particular sort of decibel of applause and yeah. yelling and, and whistling that if it's not quite there, I immediately think, Oh shit, I'm going to have to work harder with this audience. <laughs> Most um, of the songs I ever fell in love with <clears throat> had a fade. They uh-huh. didn't end like, you know, when the stones did the, uh, the uh, steel wheels tour, um, I forget exactly what year that was, but I think Mick was 47 years old. When they opened with Start Me Up, um, they yeah. closed on a hard note. Whereas uh, the song that I'd always, the recording I always listened to had a fade. So I think they were uh, thinking what you were thinking. Well, no, I don't even mean fading. You can't fade out live because you, you just can't. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like those old American bandstand shows where the record, they were just lip syncing to the record, and the record would fade out, and then they would get the audience to applaud. It, it can't <laughs> What I'm talking about is, um, so like, if I hit a chord, dun, 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 the audience is going to start applauding because they know the song's over, as opposed, dun, 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 bow. Yeah. That's a totally different reaction from the audience. Well, and the audience enjoys it more, too, even though they're being manipulated slightly. It's, show, it's a show. Yeah. It's a show, and they want, they want to get the biggest bang for their buck, you know? I'll give you a specific example of something I do. I don't do it in every show, but if I think of it, I do it. It's kind of, a, I'll try to, to abbreviate the story, but I've been lucky in that I have not had a lot of trouble with my voice throughout my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only canceled a handful of shows. If my voice goes, I can't sing. So if I can't sing, I can't do the show, but it's very rare. And I've sung through pneumonia and all kinds of shit. But uh, about 10 years ago, I did a, a tour with Ringo Starr and I was in his band and he does this thing when he tours, he does this thing every couple of years called Ringo and the all-stars and it's other artists uh, comprising a band that backs him up. So you do mm-hmm. Ringo's Beatles song and then you do, everybody does one or two of their songs and Ringo plays. So I'm up every night doing don't mean nothing and should have known better two of my earlier hits. And I turn around and Ringo's playing drums and we were a band and he's done that with a bunch of different artists. And it, formed a friendship between us that lasts to this day and he's awesome in that band was sheila e who's an amazing musician very cool and one night uh we were in i think we were playing we we're gonna play in vegas 
or Tahoe. And I woke up that morning and my voice was, for some reason, was really shot. I, I was like, shit, I can't, I certainly can't do my songs, but maybe I can do some background vocals. I can certainly play guitar. Like I was playing guitar in the band. And a couple hours later, Sheila rang my room and she said, I'm coming over to your room right now. And she brought me this liquid, this, what I call it the brew. And it, and I sip it on stage in my shows ever since, because it's, it's an incredible voice restoration concoction. And so I sip it throughout my show. And so every once in a while, if somebody does, sometimes people yell out, what are you drinking? Whatever. But I'll bring this up and I'll say, let me tell you guys what this is. This is the best voice restoration concoction ever. Anybody in the audience who's a singer, a public speaker, a bus driver, anybody who uses their voice, a teacher, this shit is the shit. And I tell them what it is. It's this much lemon juice. It's this much crushed ginger, maybe some honey to sweeten it, and a whole bunch of cayenne pepper. Mm. And the audience was, oh, yeah, it's not for pussies, right? <laughs> so I say, this, and this has really happened. One time I get a text a few years ago, out of nowhere from Brian Adams. And I'm not pals with Brian, Brian Adams. I know him a little bit. He texts me and he says, dude, I'm in Milwaukee. I've got a show in two hours and my voice is gone. What's that shit you drink? Mm -hmm. And so I totally hooked him up. I told him exactly what the recipe was, told him exactly what to do. You nuke it for like 30 seconds. And now here's the thing. This same exact concoction is also used as a cleanse. And the difference between using it for your voice versus using it as a cleanse is for your, for a cleanse, you drink it. And for your voice, you just sip it. And I forgot to tell Brian that part. <laughs> Please tell that, me he shit himself on stage. I, and the audience cracks up and I go, cause that's the kind of friend I am. Now, Chris, you're, Chris, you're like story, sadistic laughing at that story. I mean, yeah. it's funny. It's funny. It is. It is. But the point um, is, whenever I tell that story, the audience erupts in laughter. And so I've become addicted to the reaction that those kind of stories get, you know, because I know when I've gone to see performers, when I go to see singers, if they make me laugh in between the songs, I'm their fan for life. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. I wasn't expecting them to be funny. So I, I always go like, holy crap, that like, I'm, I'm in forever. Yeah, I know. It's great. I mean, I, uh, Dave Grawl comes to mind who does that. He oh, always, Dave, yeah. So funny. He's like, much John Mayer on stage at the cellar, work doing sets at the cellar. Another yeah, funny guy. John Mayer's yeah. very funny, man. He's starting to tour yeah. more with like Chappelle and stuff. But uh, yeah, dude, like I appreciate that kind of stuff because you don't expect it. From you know no. singers and, and and bands, you don't you don't they're not there they're not known for being funny, but if they can they make you laugh. I mean that you'll you'll always remember. I always remember the first time I saw a Foo Fighters show when Dave Grohl he was like he was doing this song where it's like da na da na na da na na, and then it, it kicks in where it's like it just starts like hitting hard, and they you know All the my life. erupts. Yeah, that's it. And then right as it was about to kick in, he stops and he goes, "How's everybody doing tonight? Are you guys okay?" Like and just. <laughs> And it just the whole it was an arena and the whole arena just is just laughing hysterically. And I, I looked around and I think I just started comedy back then. And I was like, man, I, I can only dream of an applause break like that or, you know, just a big, a big, big old story, you know, big laugh like that. So, I mean, I, I, I love know, what you're doing. I, I know Dave and he is he's a really thoughtful, bright awesome dude but he's also just naturally fun like i've never been with him when i didn't laugh my ass off because he's just oh, funny hysterical. hysterical man i got to meet him once at the comedy store in la and uh just nothing but a great dude and funny and uh i mean get back to you though i did read something about you that you sometimes will will have uh fun with your audiences where you start to play another song that's not yours and then and they i mean this is what i've read in, in an interview like and uh and you'll kind of like, you'll see like a couple in the audience and they'll uh, look at you like, oh my God, like, I didn't know he, he does this song. And then you, you, <laughs> you kind of have like a little, a little fun with them kind of thing. Like 
sometimes, especially in the solo acoustic show where I'm just going back and forth, I'm mostly on the guitar, playing guitar, but I'll run back to the piano. And one night I, I just kept it in the show because it was fun. I just would start playing little snippets of other people's songs. So I would go to the piano to do Don't Me Nothing or Right Here Waiting or one of my hits. And I just started playing. My friends wonder why I call you all the time. What can I say? Because I know how to play that song. And it's really fun to play on the piano. And I would notice that a couple, I would see faces like, did she do Kiss on My List? Like, dude, I, I was like, like 16 when Kiss on My List came out. Yeah, uh, your voice man. sounds the same as it did when you oh, started. That's, that's very nice, Daryl. Thank you. I think it's uh, not a lot of whiskey, not a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> no cigarettes ever. Never. I've never smoked, and I've never sm like weed is not my thing. So I'm not. I never get into that. So I've been pretty good. Uh, and you know, vodka or tequila in moderation doesn't seem to affect my voice. I think it's... You're like, you're like one of those healthy geniuses that Sigmund Freud talks about. He has a book called Talent and Genius. And he said in his... Freud said 75% of geniuses were dissolute and, and fucked up. And then there were 25% of them like yourself and Will Ferrell and Tina Fey that just don't really have any pro that kind of substance problem. They just don't. I have. No? I've been really that way. Um, I've seen it in you know, various people in my family, but not my parents. And so I think I've always had a, like when, in the eighties, when I was really starting out, blow was everywhere in every studio. And I, I distinctly remember thinking, I don't even want to try that in case I really like it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I saw what it was doing to people. I could see that they were having a lot of fun on it, but I could also see that the, I was starting to see the downside of it immediately. And so I've never been a particularly, I've always been a little afraid of liking something too much that I thought could derail me. Yeah. Nothing is, nothing ever hurt my voice as much as products from the coca plant. You yeah. know, <clears throat> my voice was shot and I was sipping baby Motrin and stuff that had worked for me in the past. But it wrecked my vocal cords just one time. Yeah, the coca plant, that'll take it from you. Have you, I don't know if you've been public about it or whether you want to be, but I mean, have you had like any issues with with substance? Oh, substance? Yeah, sure. I'm five years clean off of opiates. Oh, good for you. That's, I mean, that's like, you know, I'm friendly no with one Rex cares. Chapman. No one cares, but I, I think it's the hardest thing I ever did. Uh, but, you know, Rex Chapman, who is, I'm friendly with, uh, you know, he's Darwin. such, yeah, he's such an outspoken. He's our podcast, too. Yeah. I mean, I know more about that addiction through him mm. than I before, and I, it's horrendous. So good for you. Kudos to you, Daryl, for coming out of that. I had good health insurance, <clears throat> and I got to go to Betty Ford, and I got fantastic advice, and then. I just jumped into the twelve step community out here and, and just stayed in it. Yeah. You know? But the first six months off of opiates was oh my God. It, it, I still sh I shiver when I think about how bad that was. Uh, you know? What yeah, I so. think I've noticed uh about the the one of the main differences between what I do and what you guys do that I think is really curious and interesting. If I am lucky enough to have hits, if a, if a singer is lucky enough to have hits, or even just a following of, of people who love that album that they made, or if that artist goes out on tour and doesn't do those songs, the audience is going to be fucking pissed. If you do a special or you do a tour of set material, and it kills, and everybody loves it. If you do anything from that show on the next tour, the audience is going to be pissed off at you. Explain that to me. What I thought you were saying was an audience becomes a fan um, based on a certain body of your work, and that's why they're paying these prices and <clears throat> driving from Cocoa Beach to Tampa to right. see the show, and they really want to see the Stones sing Start Me Up in Satisfaction. Right. Right. Is that what you mean? They want, you got to, you got to put out your hits 
Yeah, but it's, he's talking about with stand-up and stand-up, like, you know, we can't keep doing the same material. If you have a Dude, special lot already, people get pissed. Every time go out on, a, on another tour, it has to be all new material. It has to be all fresh. You're not, you how, can't... How, how long is the separation between tours? I mean, just in general, am I wrong? I've, I've never seen... No, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I experience it like, I mean, still people will come up and like, oh, I love that one joke. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not doing that joke tonight. Like, you know, right. like, it's like, if you already know the, the joke, I mean, I love the joke too, but I, I try not to do this too much of the same because people always will say, you get a lot of people that come back and they'll say, oh yeah, I can't wait to see your new stuff. And I'm like, well, I wasn't planning on it, but all right. Like, you know, like I, think I got it. The only exceptions I can think of off the top of my head, I remember that George Carlin, every once in a while, would whip out the seven words you can't say on television, mm-hmm. you know, years into his career, because it was such a, an iconic bit. Yeah. And I remember Dice, you know, like years later, Dice would whip out those, those nursery rhymes, those mm-hmm. limericks. But the material had to be, it would be like, what I'm saying is the dichotomy here is, if I, I'm going to start touring February 1st, I hit the ground running in February in 2022. I'm doing 91 shows next year right now. So it will be probably 125 shows next year. Wow, man, that's, that's impressive. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a, that's will be the most shows I've done in a year in a long time. If I, if I start that new tour and all, you know, 110 minutes of my show or 120 minutes of my show is all new material. I've never <laughs> performed before. My audience, even if it's, badass even if it, i'm singing my ass off and the band yeah. is rock there's gonna be a whole bunch of people pissed off pissed you off go- because you're yeah. showing them something they're not familiar with no yes. pissed off because they didn't do the stuff that they love him for like they're gonna probably yell at him like you know right here waiting right yes. here, wait. like you know you start hearing that stuff because free bird yeah right. <laughs> exactly play some free bird play some skin i mean but the whole me- the 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 mechanism of what we do and what we are, what our audience expects of us is so dichotomous. And it's, it comes from, I think from a similar place, you know, I'm always trying to write new songs. I wrote a song today on the hike, like I, that I, I'm starting a new project. And so I'm in writing mode. My brain is creating songs. Mm-hmm. You're probably always, whether you're trying to or not, you go, Oh, that's funny. That's, that's, Oh, well, that's a good setup for a bit. Oh, that's a good, observational thing but you have to and yes we're always creating we're always coming up with new but the audience that's coming to see me year after year after year they want to hear right here waiting they want to hear don't mean nothing they want to hear hazard they got to hear endless summer nights they got to hear this they got, and so that my show sometimes i get a little frustrated because i mean it's i sound like such a dick if i'm doing for whatever reason if i have if i'm limited to 75 minutes if i'm playing in las vegas or i'm playing you know, a residency somewhere where the show has to be 75 minutes. I can't really play, but one or two new songs. I had the whole, cause the, I know what the audience wants. They want the, they want the hits. And luckily I love playing. hits. I wrote those songs. I'm proud of those songs, but the mechanism is so different and I'm fascinated by it. And I just applaud you guys in comedy because to me, it's a way more difficult, uh, challenge to sustain a career. Yeah. And apparently I'm full of shit. You guys are not agreeing with me. No, I'm agreeing. No, I, I, I'm waiting for Daryl to jump in there. <laughs> yeah, I did I just didn't want to interrupt what you interrupt you, but if I do a show and I don't and I'm I'm doing my slice of life material about relationships and life and blah 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 and whatever else, and I and I end my thirty minute set or sixty minute set without doing characters from SNL, the audience is very unhappy. Yeah, there you go. I mean, they really need a smattering of Clinton. They need some Trump, some Cheney. They need some Rumsfeld. You know, I mean, they need they need that stuff, or they're unhappy. And they've been laughing. It's not like they weren't enjoying the material, right? But you know, you're unique in that way, Daryl. In that you you created characters we all know, and and once you created those characters. Once you nail those characters a couple of times, you can't just do the same bits with those characters. You have to be, you have to freshen it up. But you're right, you, but it's unique because most 
comics, it's just the material. It's just them and the quality of the material. You created characters and you, you, your, your impressions are so dead on mm. that if I were coming to see you and you didn't do those, I would be like, oh, I wish you'd done a little of that. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's like, it'd be like being uh, you or, or Mick Jagger just going, you know, I'm just really into the jazz, man. This is what I'm into, <laughs> man. Yeah. Okay, man, you know, I'm into the jazz now. And uh, you guys would be you a know, mad, mad rush to the parking lot. I remember when Eddie Murphy, I saw him on tour and went and uh, it wasn't the Delirious tour, it was the Raw tour. And when he came out on stage, and it was very strange. He came out and he said, well, I'm the biggest Eddie Murphy fan ever, ever. I know everything about him and love him. He came out on stage and he said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Anything you have seen me do, I'm not doing it. And I thought, that's rough. Yeah. You do want to see you do Bill Cosby. Yeah. You, want to see you, you know, he ended up, I mean, I think he ended up doing some Cosby and some Pryor brilliantly, incredible. But he didn't want to do uh, certain things. And, you know, he introduced a whole a whole plethora of amazing new characters. But um, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have the courage to do something like that. I know they want to hear these and I've got a million Clinton bits and a million Trump bits and a million, you know, Jesse Jack. And I got a lot of them. Yeah. I've accumulated them over the years. And some work for Republicans and some work for Democrats and some are right in the middle. Right. You know, um, got it. But I you just identified the, the difference is that if your success, if, if the success in your career has at least partially been from mimicry, Mm-hmm. That that's the only thing that sort of aligns yeah. with a, a musician doing their hit songs. But if yes. it's just material, like Chris, you know, if if you go and you play a club, and, and you're going to do like ten clubs across the country, you're going to do pretty much the same material in that two weeks, right, Chris? I mean, yeah, for the most part. I mean, I try to. I always try to switch it up wherever I go. As far as like, you know, I'll, I I try to incorporate the city into what I'm doing. Like, you know, if I'm in Cleveland, I'll do some jokes about Cleveland, you know, yeah. but other than that, outside of that, it's like, yeah, most likely I will do, I'll have the majority of the hour or half hour, whatever I'm doing will be the same, except sometimes if the crowd isn't feeling it, you know, in certain jokes, I, I mean, I've got I've so much material from doing this for 16 years that I can shift. Yeah. I can shift into some older jokes that I think that maybe are cleaner and that's what they're enjoying. They like the cleaner jokes. Sometimes they like the dirtier jokes. And, you know, if you're doing like a late show somewhere and they're, they love the darker stuff, like, okay, well then I'm going to switch up to the darker stuff. Cause I want, I want to make sure that they're happy. I want to hit it harder, you know, and make, get those big laughs like we were talking about earlier with your you right. know, thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really wondering if during your, your, your next 91, was it 91 shows you're doing? Yeah. News. I wonder if once in a while you're not going to whip out that Brian Adams bit. Oh, every night, probably. (laughs) That's killer. But here's the thing. And I don't know. I'm sure you guys have experienced this. So there's a story. I I wrote a chapter in in my book about this because it's a fun. It was I thought it was a really funny thing that happened. The, the short version is years ago, I produced the band in sync. I wrote a song for them called This I Promise You. I'm a big hit for them. And when I wrote that song, they asked me to produce it. And it was at the height of their fame. They, they were the biggest band in the world. And so we had to find a studio in the middle of nowhere, outside of Orlando. Mm. And we worked there for about three days and nights making this record. Well, somehow word got out where they, these guys were. And the, the parking lot was packed with these young girls. Mm. So sneak the guys from NSYNC in and out of the back of the building through a secret passageway. Whereas I just walked in and out of the front door. No problem. <laughs> so the last night of recording, we're finished at like three in the morning. We're saying goodbye to everybody. We look on the security cameras and there are like 200 girls out there in the parking. So again, they sneak JC and Justin and those guys out the back. And again, I walk out the front and I've got this rental car and I go to my, I'm going to my rental car, carrying this bag over my shoulder. And this, I hear this girl behind me go, excuse me. And I turn around, this girl, she's probably 19, gorgeous, absolutely beautiful girl. And I said, yeah, can I help you? And she said, hey, are you, are you Richard Marks? And I went, 
yes, I am. And she went, oh, oh my God, oh my God, my mother is in love with you. <laughs> okay, well, that really happened. And I told that story on stage once and it killed. So I put it in the show, right? I tell that story because I do that song, this I promise you. This has happened several times, but the first time it happened, I was I played somewhere and then I played the next night, three a three hour drive away. I'm telling this, the NSYNC story, about to play the song. I get to the girl. She goes like this, oh, my God. And three women in the front row yell, my mom loves you. And I could have fucking killed them. <laughs> they ruined it. Like, so that's the other problem, is that when you tell stories that are funny or and people see you repeatedly, that it that it doesn't dawn on them. You know what? I'm not going to yell out the punchline to his story because that's lame. They're going to do it. So you guys have must have experienced that, right? Where you're getting to your punchline and somebody yells it out. That's so fucked. Yeah, that happened in Connecticut once for me. I mean, I know Daryl probably has similar stories, but one time in Connecticut, there's a woman who I was touring with uh, Jamie Kennedy and, uh, and this woman was in love with Jamie Kennedy and she kept on coming to all his shows. I mean, we did a four, four shows in a weekend, maybe five. And, uh, I did some of the same material and she sat up front each show and then just started jumping my punchlines and just started yelling them out. Oh my God. And I was like, and so I finally had to like, after like the second time it happened, I had security go over and they, they had to have talk with her and say, look, you, it's great that you're coming here and you're spending money to see these guys, but you've gotta stop yelling out because and then it's just like and then people are just all staring at her and then staring at me and yeah. of course i have to like you know i have to address it i have to like you know incorporate her and and, and screw with her a little bit you know and and it was you know it, it was fun but i'm also like in my head i'm just like shut the fuck up like <laughs> let me just finish it's literally one line that's all i have to do and and you couldn't give me that like you know but daryl i mean have you have you experienced something like that you must I have, have, but I I also have, have experienced where, uh, you know, I was coming out of the comedy store one night and a couple of 20-somethings, I mean, looked to be not even mid-20s, early 20s, and, and really strikingly attractive young people, young women, came up to me, oh, my God, Daryl Hammond, oh, my God, this and that and all of that. And then they wanted to pose for pictures, and then we posed for the picture, and afterwards, my parents are going to be so happy I saw you. They're your biggest fans. And I was like, really? Great. <laughs> that, is that right? <laughs> Ma and Pa Kettle, they like me. Is that? Yeah. And then we were standing there, this awkward science, and one of the girls offers up, it's nice to see you out doing stuff. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. to see you out, Daryl. <laughs> nice to see you Any, Anytime around. I ever start feeling confident in myself in that way, there's also. Yeah bizarre remark it's like a friend of mine said he knew he was getting older when he was dancing with someone and he said to the girl uh uh would you like me to get you a drink and she said no sir oh no sir oh but anyway <clears throat> what's like that that was that's not too depressing a story What's worse, though, I mean, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming this has to have, have happened to you before, Richard, but, like, what's worse is that when somebody yelling out your punchlines or, or, you know, giving you the whole thing, like, you know, oh, yeah, my parents will love you or whatever, um, my parents love you, uh, or them mistaking you for somebody else. Mm. I mean, I always have fun with that. Um, yeah. See, I'm not your level of fame, though. I always had your way up here. Mine is way kind of right here. So people all the time, they're like, I kind of know you. I think I know you. Do I know you? Um, Colin Quinn, right? Colin <laughs> Quinn. That yeah. happens all the time. So yeah. I'm kind of used to my, my level of fame. People just, I kind of know you. And... I was uh, checking into a hotel and a young guy at the desk, I had to show ID. And he looked at my ID and he said, Richard Marks? And I went, yeah. And he goes, are you really Richard Marks? And I said, who would pretend to be me? <laughs> like of all the people you could pretend to be. Yeah. Like, you, you have the ID, man. You, you'd sit in, in your hands. I mean, dude. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't even understand that question. Are you really? 
I mean, really, Richard Marks? No, I got a fake ID made at my age just to get just to just. Oh, but it's like if I was gonna like choose, like I would be like, are you? I'd be Brad Pitt. I would, you know what I mean? Like I could choose. I mean, I love me. I love my life. But if I'm gonna concoct a, a, a persona. Would I go with me? I don't know if I would. With with so many other possibilities. Mm. I mean, How do you spend your days these days? What's what's the most fun thing you do in a week? Well, ever since the pandemic, uh, like so many of us who have been perpetually in motion our whole lives, I had to learn how to be still, which was very difficult for me at first. But I have a set of circumstances which make it a lot easier in that, um, first of all, I don't have, you know, I'm very blessed that I don't have to stress or panic about, you know, paying my bills or any of that stuff. Um, more importantly, I'm married to Daisy Fuentes and, and we only met when I was 50 years old. Um, and we met, we of course knew we knew about each other. In fact, she had introduced a bunch of my videos when she was on MTV, and we actually spoke on the phone. I think like thirty years ago, twenty five years ago. Huh. Uh, we never. She's one of the few people whose path I didn't cross in those days. But I always admired her. I thought she was absolutely gorgeous, of course. But I always, when I would see her on MTV, I would always think she seems cool. She seems smart and like a smart ass and i was always she had personality to her i i always remember that watching her on uh on mtv when she was a vj and like always like you could see like she's got some sass like and she was always like you know the different from the some of these other you know vjs were kind of you know just walking through the job or very much and pretending to be this role you know and she just seemed genuine but yeah yeah, there was just something authentic about her. Plus, she's a Cuban raised in Jersey. You know, like, immediately she's got gravitas, you know. Uh, and and so it was uh, years ago, you know, eight years ago or something, we both were following one of the other MTV VJs, Martha Quinn, who's a sweetheart. And we didn't know that we were both following her. And Martha and I got into a, a, a banter on Twitter, and Daisy saw it and weighed in and made a comment, cute comment. And I saw her weigh in, and I was like, oh, my God, Daisy Fuentes. And immediately, I was like, what does she look like now? Oh, holy shit. What is she up to? What is she doing? And um, and so we started following each other, and it just coincided with I was getting divorced, and I was, you know, my plan was to be single for the first time in my life, in my adult life, and just sort of be on my own and have fun. And, and then I just met her in very quickly after getting separated and she just captivated me and she's uh so we, we we got married five and a half years ago and i've never been happier and so that's really you know to answer daryl's question I, i'm always working on little projects and and i'm doing a starting a new album now but and the book just came out so i'm i'm always working on something but i've been trying the last few years to just really enjoy my life and enjoy uh the fruits of my labor and that means just hanging out with daisy and like, taking long walks on the beach and playing with our dog and having you know martinis and just yeah. have, wow. have, having fun do you guys I, did i see you guys do a podcast together yeah we do a podcast called tequila talk tequila um, yeah and uh, we started that last year and that's been really fun and it's doing really well and so yeah it's fun to do something together it's just really just we just started to you know, record the same conversations we were having over at Tequila anyway. And, mm-hmm. you know, it sort of turned into something, but she's, she's just the best. So we, we, we just have fun hanging out together. Amazing. Amazing. Do you have a story that is really unusual that people don't know about you or that may involve someone who was a certain source of inspiration or something? You know, I mean, every time we talk to someone, they always have this story that they're just like, you know, there was that one time when something really strange happened. Well, there's a, again, not to, you know, not to shamelessly plug my book, but. um, Plug it up, plug it up, man. Stories to tell. There's a a story in the book that you really love, which 
I was, I had done my first album. So I was really, cause my first album just took off and we had four hits from it and I was touring incessantly and on MTV every two seconds. And, and I was nearing the end of that first tour. So this has been nine, this would have been in 1988. And I got a call from Barbara Streisand's manager, Marty, uh, Ehrlichman, Marty Ehrlichman. Yeah. And he said, Hey, Barbara is a, really loves your songwriting would love to meet with you about writing a song for her well i was you know i i didn't quite get it because my album was sort of rock and uh, i was sort of surprised that she would even know who i was but i was really flattered because it's barbara streisand you know yeah and so i ended up having a meeting with her at a recording studio and she was so lovely and just a great person to talk to and really complimentary and beautiful and I remember she smelled so good and shit. Her hands were absolutely flawless. And so we had this really nice meeting and, and I went off to, to come up with something for her. And I had, and I didn't have much time cause I was going back on the road and I really wanted to come up with something good for her. And I had just written this song, which I wrote for really personal reasons so much so that I felt like it was too personal for me to record. Number one, number two, it was a, ballad it was like a really simple piano ballad which didn't fit the rock album i was making so i had decided i wasn't going to record this song so i thought that might be good for barbara streisand so i i had a little demo of it cassette of it i had it messengered to her house this is way before you know emailing an mp3 and a couple days later i get this voice message from her saying hey richard it's barbara i still have the voicemail by the way I, i taped it i recorded it she said, hey, Richard, it's Barbara, and thank you so much for sending this over. It's a really interesting melody, really pretty. But I'm going to need you to rewrite the lyrics because I'm not going to be right here waiting for anybody. <laughs> I swear to God. And I thought that was hilarious, and I thought, well, I'm not going to – it's such a personal song. I'm not going to rewrite it. And I never ended up sending her anything. Well, the demo then sort of got – passed around to some friends of mine and they, the, the peer pressure was too great. People were like, you, you're an idiot if you don't record this song. Well, it became the biggest song of my life. Mm-hmm. And I've, be- I've become friends with Barbara Streisand over the years. And I have worked with her, you know, but we haven't worked together in a while, but we're friends. We socialize. Her husband, Jim Brolin, is one of the coolest, badass dudes ever. And Barbara is awesome and smart and funny. And, and every once in a while, if we're socializing, I'll just put my arms around her and I'll hug her and I'll go, Thanks again for rejecting my song. <laughs> you know, it sort of convinced me to record it, and it was the greatest thing that happened in my career. It's a beautiful song, my friend. Is that is that, that is that in your book? I mean, you feel like it has to be, right? It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, let's plug your book one more time. Uh, Stories to tell, right? Uh, it's an, basically a memoir, and you released a like a greatest hits and remastered uh, hits type thing with to go along with the book, right? We did, and. To, you know, humble brag. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to do a soundtrack of the book. So the, the, the album is all the hits that I reference in the book, remastered, and then a whole nother disc of some songs that I wrote for other people, my versions of those songs, like Vixen's Edge of a Broken Heart and uh, Josh Groban's To Where You Are and the NSYNC song, This I Promise You. And uh, Keith, I wrote a couple of Keith Urban hits with him, my versions of those. And the album came on in the top 10. I couldn't believe it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Very, Excellent. Very, very cool. Yeah, I'm, well, I was, I mean, you talked about Barbara Streisand. I was, it made me think, I'm like, who's, who's like your most favorite person you've ever gotten to work with? Like, who's your, that stands out where you're like, oh man, like I collaborated with this person and it was just the best time of my life. Um, sometimes the, the process isn't necessarily the most fun thing because it's, you know. It's, it can be grueling, yeah. Most of the time, it's, you know, it's getting the work done. Um, I, there's not one, but there, but I, a couple of years ago, I told myself that I needed to write a song with Burt Bacharach, and I, I manifested it. And I did the, like, I started emailing and, and, you know, trying to make it happen, and I made it happen. And we ended up writing, we've written a couple of songs, but the first song we wrote together he wrote the music and I wrote the lyrics and I'm so freaking proud of this song. It's going to be out next year, but it's just to sit in the, in the presence of royalty like that. And he's a really amazing guy. He's 92 years old and all he wants to do is just write more songs. That's awesome. He needs to, and he's a gentleman and a, 
I've learned so much from him and he's just such a groovy guy to be around. And so that, that really stands out. I, I love Bert and to, to have my name next to his on a piece of sheet music is amazing. He's a legend. That's, that's excellent. He's a giant. He's a king. Yeah. I mean, think about the songs this guy's written and it's just, it's, it's, I can't wrap my brain around it. Yeah, he's a, I mean, a legend is, is a nebulous term to me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> now, you he's said that you, man, you manifested that. Like, who else would you like to manifest to work with? Is there anybody that you that you got on the list where you're like, I would love to do something with this person, but, you know. Well, look, there's, there's as far as the manifesting thing, you know, that's a thread throughout my book. I realized as I was writing the book that ever since I was a little boy, I've had this ability to will people into my path and i'm not talking about people of whom i'm a casual fan there's tons of those but people who really made an impact on me in one way or another like really where i was really into them whether it was davy jones of the monkeys or peter gabriel or sting or the all these people i have either met become friendly with or worked with or all of the above uh i elvis i was a huge elvis fan elvis died when i was 12 so i didn't really get a chance to see that through yeah. But it's interesting throughout my life, all of that Memphis Mafia, all those guys, Red West to Joe Esposito to Priscilla Presley to Linda Thompson, his ex-girlfriend, who's one of my dearest friends, all those people have been in my life, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so, at, but the answer, Chris, is, uh, you know, to be, to be honest, there are artists out there who I think are so amazing, like Tovlo, the art, the Swedish artist Tovlo, she's amazing. Halsey is amazing. Chris Martin from Coldplay is amazing. All these people, I could list this. Bruno Mars, I think, is the most talented guy out there right now. Would I love to work with him? Sure. But guess what? They don't need my help. They're doing <laughs> just fine without me. <laughs> Doesn't mean they wouldn't work with you if they had the chance, man. Well, it's <laughs> just, you know, I think that uh, I think that the manifesting thing happens in a different way now because I'm not, I'm not really hungry for more of that. I feel like I'm at a place in my career where I, it, I'm open to surprises, but I'm not driven the way I used to be. And like, I'm going to work with that person and I want that. And I'm going to, I'm just sort of like, I'm going to walk on the beach with Daisy and see what happens tomorrow. You know, it's <laughs> a great way to be, man. That's, I mean, the pandemic, I feel like has taught a lot of us the same thing, you know? Yeah, totally. And Daryl, is there anybody you would want to work with if you got the chance to, or, uh, you know, nobody. Somebody. There's nobody out there. Come on, man. <laughs> that's the that's the weird part about being at SNL. You know, you're you're rubbing shoulders with people who are and everybody awesome, gigantic people. You know, Carol, who you had to pick someone when you were seventeen, eighteen. Who was your hero? Richard Pryor. Did you ever meet him or work with him? I met him at the American Comedy Awards when he was much older, and and, and he was. I guess quite ill at that time. And Will Ferrell and I were uh, hosting something. I kissed him on the head. Yeah. I did. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, good for you. I mean, I, I, I I didn't say this to him, but the kiss was sort of symbolizing, do you have any idea what my world would be like without you? Yeah, yeah. Any idea at all. I, I was, be wow. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't know how to count how many hours of my teens I something. <laughs> Trust me, I mean the invitation from you, Daryl and Chris. It's great to meet you, and I uh, I wish you guys nothing but the best. And I, I'm thrilled that you invited me. Absolutely, and hopefully Daryl and I will do some shows in LA at some point, and we'll uh, we'll invite you out if you you and Daisy would like to join. And yeah. I would love. That. I would love. Bless that. you and bless Daisy, and thank you for being here and being with us. And let's hope one day we connect again. Yep, you got it. Thank, Thank you, guys. Richard. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Cool. I love you, buddy. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. <laughs> and that was Richard Marks, everybody. I mean, what an amazing guest, right, Daryl? I mean, that was that's it's so cool to have somebody on who's, you know, obviously a Grammy Award winner, but like this guy's had such big hits and has been around and played some of the biggest crowds, arenas and stadiums. And I mean, just an overall great dude. He seemed like he's just a yeah. fun guy you want to hang out with. How the hell are they coming on this show, buddy? 
I don't know. They love you. That's why, my friend. Oh, they on. love you. And uh, we all love Daryl Hammond here. But uh, one more time, we're going to plug uh, Richard's book. It's called Stories to Tell. And like he said, he just released a like a remastered uh, like double CD type thing with a lot of his greatest hits. And uh, he's going on tour. So, you know, go check out his website. Go get tickets for his tour coming up next year. And uh, make sure you follow him on uh, on Twitter. He's like I said, he's a extremely fun follow. He is very funny. Love, I love seeing him interact with people on Twitter, going after trolls and stuff. Um, and then follow us on Twitter if you haven't already, or Instagram or Facebook, all that good stuff. Daryl is at Daryl C. Hammond. Uh, I am at Chris Milhouse, two L's in Milhouse, and our producer is at Jim Search. Uh, make sure you share these posts. Uh, we keep getting really cool guests, and I'm excited that we keep getting great guests. So, uh, you know, make sure you spread the word and tell your friends and uh, give us a good review. But uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm going to go and uh, enjoy the uh, the old 40th birthday, and uh, I hope you guys uh, will uh, will hope hopefully that you guys will talk to you guys soon after uh, after I turn the uh, the big 4-0. And I wish we could say who our next guest was. He's so he's so it's going to be amazing. Yeah, wait. We, we once we confirm it 100, percent we will uh, we'll try to we'll try to share with you guys and let it and let you know. But we've got some really good guests coming up, some really surprising ones uh, that you guys are going to be like, wow, okay, cool. So we're going to have some really good conversations, and uh, I appreciate you guys all listening. And I see a lot of the comments on on social media. So thank you for the comments, uh, and and thank you for you know sharing and stuff. So we appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good week week weekend, whatever day it is. <laughs> Take care.